What's up guys? Welcome back to Lovercast. It's been a couple weeks since I've released an episode. I apologize for that. I've been traveling a lot for work the last two weeks and this is this is kind of my lowest priority in terms of getting stuff done. So when I'm really busy, when a lot of things are happening, when work's taking over my life, which sucks, this is kind of the thing that gets thrown back. So I do apologize. I know some of you really like to listen to these, but today I'm, I'm really just feeling inspired right now. I just got back from work. It's Monday. And I was going to miss this week too, just because there's so much to do right now, but enough of that guys. Um, but before we get into this, all right, I do need to tell you one quick thing here. I'm going through some major allergies. All right. My throat's messed up. You guys know I had surgery a year ago. And so it's, it's extra bad today. So if you hear me swallowing an abnormally weird amount or just random pauses, it's because I'm trying to swallow. Like I'm just trying not to choke them out and spit. All right. All right. Now that that's out of the way. Let's talk about today's topic. And this is really probably not even going to be inspiring. I like to make them inspiring. But this one's something that I just find utterly fascinating. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but last episode, I believe we talked about the subconscious and how that's something that I am pretty much obsessing over. Well, it hasn't stopped. I've continued to obsess over it. I've continued to read about it. And I'm reading another book today, one that I've been reading for a while, all about free will. Do we have free will? Is it something that's actually there? The book's called Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain, and it kind of goes in to all the ways your brain is actually making choices, but making you think that you're making them. And it's absolutely fascinating because my whole life, I believed in free will, and I still think I do. But some experiments in this book have pretty much conclusively proven that free will doesn't exist. And so it's really interesting. The more you read about this, the more you get into it, the more you realize how much of your life your subconscious is actually controlling. But what's the most interesting part of this, all right, in terms of the free will, was an experiment they did where they had someone lift their finger up. They just sat someone in a dark, cold room, like, you know, kind of an experimental room. And they said, all right, what's up? Thanks for coming. Here's your $50. We told you we'd do an experiment. All you have to do is lift your finger up whenever you want to. That was it. Whenever they have an urge to lift up their pointer finger off the table, they did it. That was the whole experiment. But they were also hooked up with some, you know, some electrical things in their brain and brain scans and whatever. I don't know the science behind it, but they picked up a bunch of, uh, a bunch of signals from their brain through the technology they were hooked up to. So allow them to see their brain and essentially allow them to see the thoughts as they had them. And so what they noticed, and this is absolutely mind blowing, was that the brain gave a signal about a quarter of a second before the person decided to move his finger. So a quarter of a second before this person decided to lift their finger up, their brain had already made the decision to lift up their finger. Now this experiment was tested multiple different ways and it always gave the same results. Between 0.25 and one seconds before the action happened, the brain had already started firing signals to make it happen which means the brain had already decided for you what was going to happen. And the urge that you got to lift that finger was not really your choice. In fact, you had no say in that whatsoever. Your brain decided for you. That's where the urge came from. And that is what's very fascinating. Now, the guy who did this study was asked how he felt about essentially disproving free will in a very basic way. And he said he doesn't believe that this is conclusive, but he said he has another idea. Maybe we don't get to choose what we do, we get to choose if we do it. So we don't decide when we get the urge, but we decide if we follow through with that urge. But that does raise another question, which is, 
what if the decision to reject the urge is your subconscious as well? And what if that decision happens before you consciously can make it? So the reason I'm saying all of this is not to depress you and make you feel like you have no control over your life because you do, and I've proven that. I'm saying this because the subconscious is very powerful. And there's a lot of things that it can do. There's a lot of things that we don't understand. A lot of research that still needs to be done. And in a hundred years, you'll listen to this, all right? And you'll say that this is the dumbest thing ever because everything that I'm saying is probably not even right. But according to our current science, it is. But here, right here, what I'm about to tell you is the most interesting part. The part that I think is mind-blowing and something I've agreed with for a long time. Let's look at mental health patients, all right? Mental health is a huge problem. It's something that's growing, all right, throughout the years. It's getting more and more diagnosed, and that's just because our technology and our ways of identifying it are a little bit stronger. Like ADHD cases go up, not because we're getting more ADHD. It's because we're easy, we're, we're better at diagnosing, diagnosing it, right? So our ability to diagnose these mental disorders is increasing. So if you have schizophrenia, a mental disorder, maybe 100 or 200 years ago, you'd be considered crazy and Sometimes you'd be killed, you'd be sent to jail. I mean, you were not given help. If you have it today, you're given a lot of help. People understand that it's a mental disorder, you can't control it. There are a lot of things like that in history where if someone had a disease, whether that's mental or physical, and people treated them like an animal. They treated them like they were a different person. There were people that had lupus and they were treated just horribly. They'd get rashes and there were, there were crazy things that happened in history. But I almost wonder if we're doing that right now. I wonder if we are doing exactly what happened 100 years ago to schizophrenia or however many years ago it was and thousands of years ago to all the other diseases. Just like, just like back then, people being witches was a normal thing, right? If you were accused of being a witch, people wanted you killed. And that was normal. People didn't question it. Well, play out this scenario. You have brain damage. You can't make rational decisions. And so maybe you do something that's against the law. Maybe... You smoked drugs. Maybe you stole something. Maybe you assaulted someone. But through brain scans, it was identified that your brain's actually damaged or you were born with a disorder that caused this to happen. So is it possible that the people we're incarcerating today, at least some of them, have some sort of brain damage, brain disorder, or brain issue that could be resolved through surgery or medicine? But because we don't have the technology, our solution is to lock them up forever. Now that to me is terrifying, but also it seems like it has to be true. There are killers in, in history, serial killers, very, very famous serial killers that have just relentlessly killed without any empathy for the people they killed. And they've been recorded saying things like, when I die, scan my brain. I know something's wrong with me. I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't care and I can't stop. There are stories of people who killed their family in their sleep subconsciously they weren't even awake when they did it their mind took over their, their brain was messed up they started stabbing their parents now let's think about these for a minute should these people even be responsible for those issues and i don't know i really don't know the answer to that i don't know if there's enough technology around to prove for sure that that's what happened you know but back to the guy who said something's wrong with my brain turns out he was right he had a huge brain tumor and then when they killed him, or when he died and they cut open his skull, they found it on his brain. A massive brain tumor right on the decision-making section of your brain. So he was right. There was something wrong with his brain. And that's what leads me to, to question how many people out there have mental problems, things like anxiety and, and everything that we face today in our society that we've been diagnosed with, how much of it is just 
You don't have enough vitamin or enough mineral. How much of it's you don't get enough sunlight or enough exercise? How much of it is you were born that way? Maybe you're not eating enough protein. Is your diet wrong? Your exercise? I don't know. But this book brings up a lot of good points and it really just focuses on the fact that we don't know and we could be wrong and we likely are wrong. And I think it's fascinating because it really puts in perspective how powerful your subconscious mind is and everything that you do. And the weirdest thing, like the more I learn about this, the more I'm realizing how wrong I've been in my own life for years about the way I tackle things. For years, when I get into YouTube, before I record, I get focused, all right? Let me tell you, I get focused. I have a ritual, a routine I go through every day. The same time I record, I literally will take deep breaths. <sighs> deep, deep breaths, all right? I get myself focused. I get in the zone. I eat certain foods before I record. I try to have caffeine. I try to get my energy up. I do all this stuff and I take it so seriously. I take it so seriously. I, I've never taken anything as seriously as I take my videos. And it leads me to get severe crippling anxiety before I record more often than not. I never really could figure out why until I read this book. And it said, the more you try to do something, the more you specifically try to do something, the worse you'll do. And that makes so much sense to me. When I play piano, if I think about the keys that I'm about to hit, I cannot do it. I could not tell you what my hands are doing as I play crazy songs on piano. Once I learn it, I cannot think. I literally just let my hands do what they want. And the moment I say what's next, I mess up. Always. That's how all musicians are. You don't think, you just do it. How about this? Those of you that drive, when you're turning lanes, go ahead and do this right now. Take your hands like you're holding a steering wheel. I know it looks stupid. Now go ahead and just switch lanes. What do you do? Turn your hands to the right and then put them back in the center. Just a little turn and then you're back, right? Actually, no, you're wrong. Every single one of you is wrong. I can guarantee because you don't actually know what you do. What you really do is you turn it to the right, then you turn it back to the left, then you go straight. If you did what you did, just right and straight, you'd actually drive off the road. Next time you're driving, pay attention to how you turn lanes and you'll see. You subconsciously learned how to turn lanes, you just never even realized you were learning it. So that to me, it's another example. Your subconscious is always there for you. And what's interesting is that so much of your life is on autopilot, you don't even realize it. And let's call you the CEO, the conscious you is the CEO of your body. The CEO is only called when it needs to be called. So your body's able to react without you knowing. If you're thrown at, you know, a bug flies at you, you'll duck and swat out of the way without even realizing what happened. If a car tries to hit you, you'll swerve out of the way without even realizing that you put your foot on the brake. Subconscious mind takes over. Only when the routine is broken does your conscious mind come back into play. How many times have you been driving? 20, 30, 40 miles, you know, a nice, decent car ride. 30 miles in, you don't even remember the last 10 miles. The only reason you remember is because you almost skipped a stop sign or a car almost turned into you. Then your CEO, your conscious mind comes back in and says, oh my gosh, we're here. But that whole time, you were still there. Your subconscious mind was just controlling you, keeping you safe. Your subconscious mind took over because it's done it a million times because it doesn't need to think. It doesn't need to waste your energy doing something it's done a billion times before. There's a lot of things in your life that are on autopilot. A lot of things you don't realize are happening. And I think that's what's so interesting. Because as you think about these things, your subconscious mind is always thinking about answers. It's always thinking about the best way to solve problems. So if you have a problem and you think about it, feed it to your subconscious. Tell your subconscious, this is the problem I have. I want to know the answer. And you will get an answer. You will get an answer in your dreams or when you least expect it and it'll hit you. It'll hit you as a story or a picture or a sign or a song or something. 
but the answer will be there because your mind will create that answer. It's always been there. You just haven't been able to access it. So I don't think I'm done yet with this journey. I mean, there's so many interesting things I learned from this book, so many things I've learned from the other books, but I truly believe that learning to master your subconscious is one of the most important things to become successful. I don't know why I believe this. I haven't been told this by any gurus or experts, but it's something that I personally believe is true. And one of the reasons is because I want to learn how to tap into my subconscious specifically for creativity because creativity is what drives innovation and innovation generally drives a lot of success. And I want to be innovative. I don't want to copy people, but I really struggle some days. So I've been trying to develop my own brainstorming techniques and my own brainstorming methods. I'm actually going to share those with you in this episode right now. So brainstorming, we all know what it is. Our teachers made us do it. But I never really put a lot of thought into it. I was like, this is stupid. I want to go eat lunch and like talk to girls and stuff. I still do feel that way. I do want to eat lunch and talk to girls. But now I want to learn how to brainstorm. And so here's my new brainstorm technique. There's a strategy of being creative where you actually limit yourself. So instead of saying, for example, you want to design a new house. You know, you want to design a new house. You're an architect. You want to build something. Well, instead of saying build anything you want, you actually restrict yourself. It's called restrictive creativity. And so instead of saying, I want to build something cool, you say, I want to build a house inspired by fish. So now your creativity has been restricted. You know exactly what to search for. This actually increases your ability to be creative because now you're forced to work within the constraints of being a fish or looking like a fish or metaphorically representing a fish. So this restrictive creativity is a really powerful tool. So I've actually combined restrictive creativity with an app on my phone. I have an Android phone. I got an app called Parrot, and it generates random words. So I click the random word button, and I get three random words. I just did it, and I got the words playground, wood, and frogs. Completely random words. Well, those are my restrictive creativity words. These are the words that I use, and I force myself to create a video idea on one of these ideas. So let's do it right now. Playground, wood, and frogs. So I'm going to narrow it down. I see potential in frogs. Maybe I make a Fortnite video on Frogger. So there's something there. Wood. I'm not seeing a lot on wood. Cut down trees. That's stupid. I'm crossing wood out. And we have playground. I could build a playground in Fortnite. I could make that a video. So I have build a playground or something to do with the playground in frogs. Okay. I like it. Maybe we'll play leapfrog. World's biggest leapfrog game. Okay. That's good. World's biggest leapfrog game. So then I opened up an app that's kind of like a neural network. It's basically little nodes. Um, let me tell you the name of the app. It's called My Mind, and it has these little nodes. So my first node is video ideas. Then it breaks down into Fortnite, and from Fortnite it breaks down into crazy ideas, sports games, uh, board games, wind conditions, etc. All these different ideas on here. So then I take my idea, and I write new notes, and I write Leapfrog. But that's not where it ends. Leapfrog is not really a viral video idea. I let that simmer a little bit, along with all the other ideas I have on here. All kinds of, I have like 40 or 50 ideas on here, but they're all incubating. It's called the incubation process. I made it up. I think it's a cool name. So I let these incubate. Things throughout the day will inspire me. And I come back and then I do what I called 10xing. I 10x the incubated idea. 10xing means you do 10 times more than what the average person would do. So an average person would make a video of Leapfrog on Fortnite. That's kind of boring. So what's 10 times more than Leapfrog on Fortnite? I don't know. I have no idea. Let me think about it. And then a day I'll come back and maybe my idea is leapfrog on Fortnite. But if you lose, you have to 
pay the other person $500. If you win, you get to buy whatever skin you want. Nah, that's still not there. Maybe you play leapfrog and every time you successfully hop over a person, you get $100. But it doubles. But you have to decide, do you want to try again? Or do you want to lose it all? Yeah, that's better. I like that more. Double or nothing leapfrog. That's exciting. So that's how it works, guys. You get that idea. And then I say, okay, let's go to leapfrog notes. We'll call double or nothing leapfrog. Cool. We got a new idea. Is this the winning idea? No, it's still my incubator. It's still not there. It's still not ready to be shown to people. It's still not flushed out. It's still not 10 times. Is it cool? It's better, but it could use some work. So that's how my brainstorming process works. I use restrictive creativity. I put my ideas into an incubator. I 10x the ideas. And now I've got a process for the first time in three and a half years for how I make videos. This is something that took me three and a half years to develop. This took me three and a half years to develop and I'm sharing it with you right now. So I really hope you truly understand how valuable this is for those of you that are trying to be creative. This is the combination of books, hundreds of thousands of hours of reading. Weeks and weeks and weeks of reading hundreds of books, research, videos to create this simple idea incubator. This all started because of the subconscious mind because I realized incubating these ideas allows my subconscious to mull it over in my sleep. So guys, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. As always, leave me a comment. Let me know what you like, what you dislike. I'm always looking for feedback here. Most importantly, guys, check out my Instagram at Loverfella, my Twitter at Loverfella TV. You guys can follow me there for more behind the scenes info, pictures, um, merch, you know, love you guys. You're awesome. Spread the love. See you all next week. Peace.